you have your Bibles, you don't have to get back up, but you can turn with me to the book of Hebrews again, chapter 12. I read from this this past Sunday, and I attempted to preach a little bit from a portion of Scripture found in this 12th chapter. But I, I go back to it again tonight because it has continued to speak to me, and it has... For a number of years, this particular passage has been one of those challenging reads. It is one of those portions of Scripture that you go back to and you read it over and over and over, hoping that you can glean something that you did not see before. And I don't know, I I don't have a new revelation, but I have an old truth that needs to be newly embraced. And I believe that if we will receive the Word of God, some great things can happen in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, I am going to begin reading in verse number 14, and I'll read down through verse 16. Hebrews 12 and 14 He said, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And with that, I want to draw your attention back to verse number 14, because to me, that is the key that unlocks the door of understanding for verse 15 and 16, and Paul, who I believe wrote the book of Hebrews, simply said, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, most commentators and even um, most uh, of the people that I've ever heard refer to this portion of Scripture tend to uh, only associate the last statement without which no man shall see the Lord only with holiness. And we are tempted at times to use that as a bully whip uh, to try to uh, convince people to live a more godly life, because if you don't do that, you're not going to see the Lord. But I am convinced that it involves a whole lot more than just holiness. And everybody said amen. You know, there's some things about life that when you get them right, it makes everything else work the way it's supposed to. If you get them wrong, it doesn't matter how hard you try to fix things, they just don't work. As I've gotten older, I have 
become, I hope, a little wiser. But one thing that I have found myself doing more and more lately is reading instructions. Now, I don't know if that's just an age thing. I know that men are not tempted to read instructions typically. Uh, Instructions are just a diversion and they're just to slow you down from getting whatever done you want to get done. But as I have gotten older, perhaps a little wiser, I have realized the importance of instructions. And I don't I don't remember exactly what it was, but not long ago I was having to put something together. And I had already looked at it in my mind. I had seen the picture of how it should be and how it should look and how it would hopefully function. And uh, so in my mind, I already, as, as, as most men would probably say, I already knew how to do it. I, I knew how to fix it. And yet I, I, I let my better self guide me and I got the book out and I started through that slow, meticulous process of reading those laborious instructions that sometimes you have to understand that they must have been drinking something when they wrote some of those instructions. But anyway, needless to say, I remember when I got to a particular point and it was at the very beginning, there was one particular part that in my mind and as far as I was concerned could have been put in place at any time and it would not have affected the function of that particular thing that I was working on. But I followed the instruction and I did that piece or I put that piece in place where it told me to put it in place. And then as I began to work on through the process of putting it all together, it began to dawn on me how critical that one part was that I, in my mind, thought you can just put in anywhere and it'll work. And I saw that there was a true process that this person who invented this or designed this there was a process that they wanted you to go through so that when you got this one step right, it made all of the other steps so much simpler and so much easier, and they all worked. And what I found out is if I had waited to put that part in when I thought I could have put it in, the part would have functioned, but it would not have functioned properly and the piece of equipment would have been broken down in a hurry. And I go back to what I said a while ago. There are some things in life that when you get them right, it makes all the other things that you're attempting to do or trying to avoid doing, it makes them work better. And if you don't get it right, then nothing works. Anybody with me? You understand what I'm saying so far? Now, an ounce of prevention is worth what? Anybody know what that old saying is? An ounce of prevention is worth a what? A pound of cure. An ounce of prevention. That means doing something ahead of time, being proactive. 
can save you a lot of misery down the lane. And you may have an abundance of resources at that particular moment, but the damage or the hurt that's been done <clears throat> does not negate <clears throat> the fact that you have the answer now. So prevention in God's economy is an integral part of living a successful Christian life. And the great challenges of life and living are found in being proactive, not waiting until the thing falls apart, but working on it ahead of time so that when the storm comes, you're not trying to scramble around and find an answer. You already know where the answer is. Amen. And so this particular passage has always been one of those that has challenged me. And somehow, without really knowing why, and without really being able to give you the depth of answer that I would like to, I have always felt like this particular passage was a key to life. I, there, there's been something about it when I have read it. It has it has spoken to my inner man. It, there's something about it that resonates in my mind and spirit and makes me to understand that there is a lot at stake here. When you read this particular passage and you listen to what Paul wrote to these early believers... You understand that there is something life-changing. There's a principle here that if you get this principle right, then it will make all the difference in the world in your future. And I do think that there has been a lot of misunderstanding at times and perhaps even an enlargement of particulars about this passage that I believe are wrong. And tonight my goal is to somehow help you and in the process help myself understand that when you get this right, it'll make a lot of other things right as well. Amen. And somebody said amen. The goal of every one of us should be to be saved. Amen. Is that your goal tonight? I've stood at the graveside the last week but uh, of two wonderful ladies. And I have looked at the cold hand of death that laid hold of them. And standing at the casket of Sister Long's mother just on Monday, I touched that cold hand and I realized that all of the potential and all of the ability that had been there was no longer there. It was gone. It will never return in this life. And so it is true. Only one life and soon it will pass. And only what's done for Christ will last. And so when I looked at those, those lifeless bodies, I realized, God, I have to get this right. I, whatever it takes, God, I must be saved. I do not want to come to this place in my life and wind up missing the boat or missing the target or getting off track or getting diverted. God, I must be saved. Whatever it takes, God, I must be saved. 
Anybody here feel that way tonight? God, I don't, I, I don't care about being embarrassed. I don't care about being uh, uh, made to look like a fool. That doesn't matter to me. What matters most to me is that I must be saved. I must be saved. And God, whatever it takes, whatever you need to do in my life, I want you to do that because I believe being saved is worth whatever I've got to go through in this life to, to, to achieve that goal. Amen. Whatever sacrifice, whatever commitment, whatever dedication, whatever I need to lay down, it will be worth it. I must be saved. Somebody say, whatever it takes. God, whatever it takes. I don't want to be lost. Amen. I, I don't want to I don't want to come to this point in life and wind up on the side of the road, a broken down wreck of life. Amen. I want my life to count. But I realize that when I read the scripture that that broken down mess is exactly what can happen, and that's what Paul is trying to avert. He's, that's what he's trying in, in his own way to help men and women understand is that there are many dangers along this road of Christianity and there are many dangers and obstacles along your journey and there are many hazards that you have to maneuver and he warns us here of three of the most critical dangers that can happen in a person's life that can cause them to get off track and to miss heaven and miss all that God has for them. And it begins with a pursuing of peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Amen. We fail to realize how important these words are, but I want to magnify them for just a few moments. And I don't want to, I, I don't, I don't want to make a lot about nothing, but I want to make something of what the Word says tonight. In our spiritual journey, oftentimes we fail to realize how important the Scriptures that we read from tonight have to do with the overall success of our spiritual journey and our ultimate victory. And it begins by us following peace. The word follow is what is in your King James Version. But in the Greek, the word is much more emphatic. It's much more direct. It's much more demonstrative. It means more than just to follow as a puppy would a, a, a child through the house. But it means literally to pursue something. To pursue, to go after something. Here... In this passage, we are told to not only look to, but we are to strive after it. We are to reach for it, make every effort, one translation said, make every effort. That means that you do everything that you can do to achieve this particular goal. And what was that goal? It was peace. With all men. Amen. Follow peace. 
pursue peace. Strive for peace. Reach for peace. Do all you can do to have peace. There are some things that stomp their feet and say to us, pay attention to me. And if you will pay attention to me, I will help you divert the disasters that have fallen to many people in their journey through life. And here it is in its simplicity. Pay attention. Follow peace. Amen. Everybody say that with me. Follow peace. That means you have to work at getting along with people. You have to work at getting along with people. You have to put effort into learning people and their dispositions and understanding that at best they're just human and they are frail just like you are. And so you put every effort into getting along with people. That doesn't mean that you have to like everybody. That doesn't mean that you have to agree with everybody, but it means that you do everything in your power to get along with everybody. Because if you don't, you're never going to see the Lord. Now some of us think that only applies to holiness, but it doesn't. It applies to both aspects of that verse. He said, follow peace with all men and Holiness without which, holiness, and then there's a comma, without which no man shall see the Lord. And we Pentecostals, we have been real good at lifting that latter portion and we have gone to seed on being holy because we think if we're holy, we're going to see God. Doesn't matter if we're mean as a junkyard dog and talk bad about everybody and talk ugly to people and treat them like trash. You know, we can do that. But as long as we've got this holiness facade on, we're going to see God. Well, that's not true. You can be the most holy and the most godly looking person in the world. But if you don't know how to get along with your brother and your sister, it's very unlikely that you're going to see God. Amen. So follow peace. Amen. That means you have to work on it. It doesn't come easy. And there's some people that are hard to love. (laughs) There's some people that it's hard to get along with. There's some people that it's hard to even figure out a way to get along with them. But it's worth it because it will ultimately lead you where you want to go. Follow peace. Say it with me. Follow peace. Strive for it. Make every effort to achieve that with all people. Good people, bad people. Smart people, ugly people. People you like and people you don't like. Learn how to get along with them. Amen. I don't know why in the world I am preaching this to you tonight, but God knows that some of us need to hear what God's Word says. You can talk in tongues more than the Apostle Paul. But I'm telling you tonight that if you don't know how to get along with people and you don't know how to love people, 
you are not going to see God. Amen. Amen. Follow peace. These words sound to me to be the calling of my attention to an alertness. My undivided attention. And Paul said, here is where it begins. This is the key that unlocks the door. This is what will prevent you from stumbling over some other things in the future. Just go ahead and settle it. I'm going to love everybody. Amen. I'm going to love everybody. I'm going to learn how to love everybody. And sometimes you have to learn how to do that. It's like trying to love a porcupine. (laughs) It doesn't matter which way you turn them. They've got spikes sticking out. But you know what? You just keep working on it and learn how to love that porcupine. Because that's the key to overcoming a lot of other things in life. Because there are a lot of things that get us tripped up. And he mentions three of them in the, in the verses after verse 14 that are keys in, in, in causing a lot of people to stumble. But, but the real key to overcoming and the real key to living victoriously is just go ahead and settle it in your mind and heart tonight. I am going to work on learning how to love everybody. Amen. You know what I learned a long time ago, and, and I hate to share all of my secrets, but I learned a long time ago, and it was hard for me to accept this, but I learned to keep my friends close, but my enemies closer. Amen. And you know what? In doing that, I have, I have disarmed a lot of enemies. Amen. And I've kept them close enough that they never could take a good whack at me. (laughs) You know, if we do what we would normally do, we will ostracize them and we'll push them away. And we'll give them plenty of room to take our head off. But if you get them close enough, they can't swing that sword. And if they get close enough, they might even feel your heartbeat. They might even feel your passion. They might even feel your spirit. And it's amazing what can transform in a person's life. But you have to learn how to do that. I will tell you I'm not good at it, but I'm working on it. Because I have found it's the key to unlocking the door to a lot of other things. And is a key to preventing many things that could befall my life. And here is where it begins. Strive for getting along with each other. Work at it. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you know what, I love you. I love you. And I love you not because Brother Hughes told me to tell you, but I love you because I want to be like Jesus. Amen. And so Paul opens a door here. He said, Follow peace with all men and holiness. And holiness. Holiness is your relationship with God. It's not what you wear. Now, it will affect what you wear and how you act, but it is not what you wear. Holiness is not what you don't do. Holiness is what you are in your spirit. 
Holiness is a spiritual relationship that you have with God that will affect the way you dress, the way you talk, the things you like, the things that you will not allow in your life. It will affect everything about you. It is not simply some awkward, uh, out-of-step, out-of-date attempt by people to live in days gone by. That's how the world views holiness when we talk about it. They, they think that we're stuck somewhere in a time warp in another generation. But the truth is, holiness is a spirit. It is a relationship that begins between you and God. It is understanding that God is clean and pure and undefiled. And if I am going to have a relationship with Him, I am going to have to do everything I can to make sure that I bring myself into that same kind of spirit and atmosphere. That doesn't mean I'm perfect or without fault. But I want that relationship to be right. And so when I get it right, when I get it right, it changes everything about my life. It it, it changes what I do and don't do. It changes my conversation. But holiness is a spirit, folks. And and, and until we get that right, we're going to struggle with holiness. We'll struggle with the concept of holiness. We'll struggle with the principles that are involved in holiness because To a lot of people, holiness is just something that they wear. It's not what they are. So let's settle it, church. I want to be holy because He is holy. I I, I want my life to be restricted in some ways, if you want to look at it like that, because God has restricted Himself in some way. There are some things that God will not do. And because God will not do them, I should not do them, nor should I want to do them. And when I get into a right relationship with Him, then there are other things that begin to work right in my life. So I must pursue, I must reach for, I must give it every attempt, I must give it my best effort to have, to to follow peace, to get along with others, and to get along with God. That's what holiness is, is getting along with God. And when I do, these next three things come into focus. The next three things that Paul mentions in 15 and 16 are very critical in the journey of life. He talks about missing grace's work. He talks about missing grace's work. And and when you read that, it's almost mind-boggling what Paul is actually referencing here. But listen to what he said in verse 15. He said, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. And the word fail there literally means miss or missing the mark. Lest any man miss the mark. Now, how could that happen? The only way that that can happen is for a person to become either disconnected or distracted. The only way that a person can miss out on what grace is trying to accomplish is that they begin to straggle and they begin to 
slow down and they begin to fall behind and they get out of step and they become disconnected. Got a phone call this afternoon from our alarm company to let us know that our alarm had been down because we had lost connection. We weren't secure. If a fire had broken out, there would have been no warning. If there had been any kind of emergency, there would have been no way to communicate that with the, the right authorities because there was a disconnection. They were working on the phone system. And then Friday, we're going to have a blackout for four hours around here because the light company is bringing the power down behind us to put in new service. And so we're going to be disconnected. And while you're disconnected, you can't just walk into a room and enjoy what we're enjoying. You can't go turn that thermostat on and make it work to your comfort because there's a disconnection there. It affects the entire life that you try to live and so it is Paul said if you don't get living in peace with people and living in relationship with God right then you are going to be greatly tempted and you are going to be greatly drawn to that disconnection there's going to be a drifting that comes in and you're going to go through the motions but there's not any spirit there you you go through the mechanics but there's no heart there you're just there in body but you're not there in spirit that's what happens when we miss out on peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the lord we become disconnected or we become distracted amen brother buddy and i were talking about that at lunch today you know, it's easy to get distracted today. There are so many things. I mean, you go into a restaurant and sit down and try to have a conversation with anybody today, and they've got 15 television screens all over, and they've got 15 different things going on, and you're trying to hold a conversation with them in there. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. That's life. It's not just in restaurants. It's everywhere we look. There are so many distractions. There are so many things that the devil has realized that can get us off of our game, that can get us out of our stride. And so everywhere we turn, and Paul's trying to say, this is, I'm trying to give you a key to keep you from becoming distracted or be, being disconnected. If you will work on peace with all men, and you will work on your relationship with God in that spirit of holiness, that will help you avoid avoid that disconnection or that distraction that comes into our lives. And not only that, Paul went on to talk about the disrupting influence of spirits that can trouble a person's life. And he talked in particular about the most disturbing spirit, and that's bitterness. Bitterness. Everybody say bitterness. Paul said you... If you don't get following peace and you don't get holiness right, then you're going to struggle with this, this influence that can come into your life called bitterness. Because life is not fair and life is hard and life is harsh and it is not an even playing field. And if you are not careful... There, there there will rise up in you an anger and 
a, a spirit that causes you to lose faith. That's what bitterness really is. It's the loss of faith. It's the loss of confidence in God and more in particular in people. We get disenfranchised and, and we get hurt and when we get hurt we get angry and when we get angry we, we get bitter. Amen. But if you go back to what Paul said initially and you strive to live in peace with all men you won't ever have to worry about bitterness. Amen. You won't have to worry about it making inroads. And I found that the longer we live, the thing that I find more often causing people to be derailed spiritually is a bitter spirit. Amen. There's a lot of broken relationships tonight over bitterness. Amen. There's a lot of homes that are hurting because of bitterness. Watch out. Don't allow the corrupting influence of bitterness into your life. Because it not only affects you, it affects many others around you. That's the poison of bitterness. And Paul said, if you don't get this right, if you don't follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, you're going to be susceptible to that bitter spirit. And then the third thing he mentioned, and we don't usually identify with it, but in truth it is a problem. He said we must be aware or we must be conscious of the possibility of falling into an immoral or into an unhallowed lie. And then he talked about Esau. Now, most of us are not, when we think about immoral, we, we, would, we would throw the Bible down and say, no way, that's not me. But I have met a lot of people that have allowed their life to slip into this unhallowedness. And the only way I can describe it is that we lose our consecration. That's a word. That's an old word. We don't hear very much about anymore. When I, when I was just a child growing up around the church, I heard a lot about it. We actually had consecration services where the whole service was themed on us rededicating and recommitting. Maybe the old timers had it right. Maybe they understood more about humanity than we are, are understanding. Maybe they realize that the secret to spiritual victory is making sure that you keep yourself on the altar and you keep your life on God's altar and you keep your life in God's hand and so there was a conscious effort of commitment and recommitment and devotion and dedication because when you let that dedication begin to slip and you let your consecration begin to slip then other things begin to go as well when people begin to lose their consecration you know what the first thing that happens is they begin to lose their interest in church, in God, in service. It's boring. It's dead. It's cold. Brother Hughes, my, you are so dry tonight. That's what happens when we become or, or we allow ourselves to 
let our consecration slip. There's a loss of reverence. There's a loss of hallowedness. There's a loss of sacredness. And we begin to drift into a frame of mind and heart that is most guided by carnal and earthly thinking. And so the old timers may have had it right. Consecrate me now, O God. Consecrate. Help me consecrate myself. Because there's a key to victory. There's something about keeping yourself on the altar that will keep you out of a lot of trouble in your life. Read the story of Abraham, and I'm closing. The story of Abraham is is peppered with many altars. And when you read Abraham's life, you will find that every altar represented a place in Abraham's life where he had to bring something to God that he was struggling with. His own unbelief. The first altar that we read about is when he got from Ur, when he left there his homeland and he got to the promised land, he built an altar. I don't know, but in my mind, it seems that Abraham built an altar because the calling of God on his life was more than he could probably comprehend at the moment. And when he got there, he realized, God, you really did mean good to me. You, and so he, he builds an altar. And then he slips down into Egypt and he becomes a liar. I'm talking about a man of faith becomes a liar and a deceiver. And if it had not been for God, He would have gotten into a lot of trouble. But God opened the eyes of the the Egyptian leader and he realized what was going on. And immediately the Bible says that when Abraham came back from Egypt, the first thing he did was go back to the altar. Why? Because there was some unbelief and there was some spirits in his life that he needed to take back and lay before God. Now listen to me, folks. If a man like Abraham, who was called a friend of God, if a man like Abraham, who was the father of the faithful, struggled with lying and deceit and his own flesh and God's timing in his life and God's promises and all that had been given, if Abraham struggled with that, then don't think you and I are not going to struggle with a few things in our life. That's why we need an altar. And that's why we need to learn how to reconsecrate ourselves to God. Because in doing so, we will prevent a great misery and heartache to come that will be there if we fail to do that. Amen. So here are the things that I miss. Here are the things that I avoid when I learn how to love people and love God. I will avoid being becoming disconnected. I will avoid becoming distracted. I will avoid allowing the influences of corrupting spirits in my life like bitterness. And I will prevent myself from falling into an unconsecrated life. So folks, it really is a whole lot better if you follow the beginning instructions and love all men. Amen.
Stand with me.